2 Samuel chapter 9. If you have found it, and even if you haven't, I'm just going to ask you one last time this morning to stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of God, and then I'll allow you to be seated the remainder of the service. Beginning in verse 1. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machar, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. One more verse. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. Let us pray. Father, this morning we love you and we thank you, God. We're honored with the privilege and the opportunity to come together this morning in your house to worship you, to sing praises to you, and God, to read from your word. And Lord, I pray this morning now as the preached word of God goes forth, Lord, that first and foremost, you would anoint me to do your work. And God, I acknowledge this morning before these people, God, I have nothing in and of myself, Lord, that will do us any good, but Lord, your word. When it is rightly divided and when it is rightly received, God, it has the power to change. It has the power to save. I ask this morning you would anoint me to preach in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God. And I simply ask, God, that you would anoint each hearer in this place. God, that we might hear your word this morning. And God, that you might speak to each and every one of us in a way that only you can. Have your way. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach to you this morning on a sermon thought, what's on the king's mind? What's on the king's mind? In our story, King David begins to wonder to himself, is there anyone of the house of Jonathan, for Jonathan's sake, Of the house of Saul, is there anyone that I can show the kindness of God to? It's a great question that we ought to ask ourselves on a little more regular basis. Lord, is there anyone that I can show your kindness to on this day? But our story this morning is somewhat more significant in the fact that it is the king. The king of Israel. The one whom the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. It is significant this morning that the king is thinking of whom he may show kindness to. And I'm going to come back and work this morning to the king and we'll finish with the thought, what is on the king's mind? But I want us to stop first and examine who it was the king was thinking of. The Bible tells us that he had wondered if there was anyone whom he should show some kindness to. And there was one person whose name was Mephibosheth and Ziba, who was a servant of Saul, he knew of pretty much the history of Saul and Saul's people. And Ziba had seen all that had taken place 
during the, the, the trading of the throne from Saul to David. And Ziba was aware of who was destroyed in the war and who had been slain. And, 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 and David says to him, is there anyone left? Is there anyone that made it through the fight? Is there anyone that made it through that fierce battle that has taken place the last several years? And Ziba said, there's one that I know of. His name is Mephibosheth. The Bible tells us in the very text that I read that he was lame. In other words, his feet did not work. His legs did not work. He could not walk. They did not have wheelchairs like we have in the days of Mephibosheth. He was crippled, unable to move from place to place. And we also learn that he lived in the land of Lodabar. This morning, before we come back to the king who thinks of Mephibosheth, let's enter, if we can, into this boy's life. In 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible tells us exactly how he became lame. While his father, Jonathan, And while his grandfather Saul were out at war for the purpose of trying to kill David, while they were out at war, this five-year-old boy had been placed into the care of a caregiver. And on the battlefield, his father and and his grandfather died. And somebody comes running back to the place where he is, to the place where his caregiver is, and gives the news that Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead. They are no more. And the caretaker, in fear and worry and and, and confusion, what happens now picks up this five-year-old boy. The Bible doesn't tell us how, only that somehow we can only picture maybe she was running, maybe she was headed somewhere, but there was a mistake, and somehow she fell, and somehow he was dropped. And even at the age of five, the tragedy was enough to cripple him for life. And he could never walk again. I have no intent of exaggerating the story of Mephibosheth this morning, but I have a vivid imagination, and I think it does as well to enter into his place, to enter into the pain of Mephibosheth so that we can understand the significance that the king would think of such a boy as him. I have a four-year-old son, and those of you that know my son, and those of you that have been around him for about five minutes or more, know that he likes to fight with the sword. And if he doesn't have a sword, he'll take a handkerchief out of your pocket and turn it into one. Somehow, some way, it will become a weapon. He just turned four a couple weeks ago. My son's fascinated with his father. He wants to be like me. He comes here when nobody else is here and he gets up on the stage and he has me lower down that microphone and he says, Dad, I'm the preacher. And I try to think about this Mephibosheth who is at least a year older than my son at five. I think about all the things that a king's son would go through and that a king's son would experience and 
There's no doubt that he watched uh, the, them practicing sword fighting. There's no doubt that, 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 that as a, an heir to the throne of Israel, that his father had taught him some things and had told him of what was going to take place one day of his life and had explained to him the significance of who he was as a child of the king. But at five years old, everything changed for this boy. He gets a report that your father is dead, your grandfather is dead, and now his legs are broken irreparably, and everything that he had ever pictured himself being was destroyed in the matter of moments. He lived the rest of his life without a father. No doubt wondering what might have been. They did not have the modern day technologies we have to help crippled people get around in his time. He had no motorized wheelchair. And in his specific day, in his specific time, his infirmity pretty much ruined his life of anything. Now we see his infirmity, but let's look at the place that he lives, Lodabar. The place Lodabar was named Lodabar because it was a place that for the most part was barren. Lodabar actually means no pasture. In other words, grass doesn't grow there. You can't raise your flocks there. There is very little water. It is a dry and thirsty land that is not very conducive to living. And this is where he took up residence. I want to suggest a couple of reasons this morning why he was living in Lodabar. Number one, it was possible because he was a descendant of the throne that had been taken away because his parents and his father had died on the battlefield. It is possible that they may have felt that Mephibosheth's life was in danger. And there's no question that it was in the best interest, so they believed, of Mephibosheth to move away from everything that was taking place in Israel and around Jerusalem. To get as far away as possible from ever being noticed, from to, to get as far away from possible as ever being reminded and seeing on a regular basis each and every day what could have been his. I want to suggest this morning that a lot of us retreat from time to time to our own Lodabar. It is the place where we know that it's thirsty. We know that there's not much to eat. We know that life, for the most part, will be a famine. But at least there, it is unlikely that we will be attacked. At least there, it is unlikely that anybody is going to come into our place and seek to destroy us. We revert and we feel safe and we are in the cave and we are, there is nobody else to come into this place. And so we can stay there and live, if you will, in our crippled state. This was his life. This is a terrible existence. And it's worth noting this morning, before I go any further, that this was not his fault, by the way. I'm not coming down on Mephibosheth. Something tragic happened in his life at five years old. 
And it altered the course of the rest of his life. Sometimes tragedies happen to us that alter us forever. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And we find ourselves in the same condition as Mephibosheth. And this morning I can say as compassionately as I can, as I try to identify with him, I don't blame him for going to Lodabar. Where else was he going to go? Who wants to stick around Jerusalem the rest of his life and watch everybody else have what he can't have? To be reminded every day what was taken from him. He deals with that enough, not being able to walk. Who wants to stand around and watch the princes and the kings come through the, the streets as the crowd is, 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 is giving them honor and praise, thinking, that used to be my parents. That used to be my destiny. I don't blame them. This morning, I want to tell you from a spiritual point of view, if we're not careful, we'll retreat to Lodabar ourselves. And we'll live in a land where there's no pasture, there's very little water. Because we feel it's safer to be there. Because we feel it's safer not to put ourselves in a place where we might be attacked and where we're constantly reminded of our pain. And there's something uh, about this particular story that, that resonates especially with the child of God, with, with the Christian, with, with those who have, who have tasted of the things of God. And they have seen the Davids, if you will, who have danced for joy and who have, who have, who have become successful on the throne. And they think, that cannot be me. And I'd rather not be around it every day of my life. I'd rather not be reminded every day of my life that for some reason I can't seem to walk like everybody else. It wasn't his fault. Mephibosheth couldn't just make up his mind. He's going to get up and walk. Something had happened to him that had nothing to do with him. It wasn't his fault. It was out of his control. Spiritually speaking, friends, sometimes we get dropped by somebody that should have held us up. Somebody that we were in their care and we get dropped and something breaks. This morning, can I tell you, this was where Mephibosheth was at. He's in, a, he's in a dry, he's in a thirsty land. And without any reason why, David begins to think about him. Is there anyone I can show kindness to yet of the house of Saul? In 2 Samuel chapter 9, this is about the safest and most successful stage in David's entire life. We all know the great sin of David and Bathsheba. That had not occurred yet in 2 Samuel chapter 9. He was no longer running for his life from Saul. He was no longer in the confusion land wondering, God, what's going on? I thought you anointed me king. He's been anointed king. He has taken the throne. He has established the land. Israel is looking better than it's ever looked since it crossed the Jordan River. It's in good shape. With all that's gone on and all the wars that he's fought and all of the, the soldiers that he is over and all that takes place being the king of Israel, something moved in David's heart and David began to think, is there someone I can show kindness to? 
It's amazing and it's important to us because the Bible tells us David was a man after God's own heart. Can I tell you plainly this morning, God's thinking about you. He's thinking about you. And you might think, how could God think of me? With all that He does, with all that He's over, with, with the world in His hands, and with all that, that takes place in this universe, and, and everything that God is doing, commanding the angels of heaven to and fro, why would He think about me? I don't know why He would, friend. All I know is that He does. And I thank God that the King of kings and the God of glory, you are on His mind. I'll tell you that when He was on the cross, It was for the joy that was set before Him. You were on His mind. David's sins for Mephibosheth. It's a beautiful picture of salvation. Mephibosheth had already accepted where he was. He was always going to be there. He was just going to live it out until he died. And David sent a messenger. And I tell you, God has a way of doing that when He wants us. God has a way of it. Preachers this morning, teachers, you're nothing but the messenger. It was David the king's thought. It was Mephibosheth that needed to be reached. And David just said, you go get him. This morning, I'm just trying to be the messenger. Tell you that God loves you. He knows where you're at. He knows your hurt. He knows your pain. And God sends out for us. I say this a lot, but I only say it because I believe it. You're here this morning because God wants you to be here whether you believe it or not. You might think you just go to church regularly. That's why you're here. You might think your parents forced you to go and you wouldn't go if they didn't make you. God can make what happen however He wants to happen. I ain't talking about the, the way you got here and what vehicle you rode in. I'm telling you, God has a divine plan for your life, and He brings us to places where He can speak to us from time to time. And God sent after, through King David, to show the kindness of God to this hurting, crippled young man at this stage in his life. He was no longer a boy. Matter of fact, I believe the same text tells us he had a young son. So, he was probably in his early 20s. But he sends after him and Mephibosheth comes. In their time frame, Mephibosheth didn't really have much of an option. When the king sends for you, it's a little difficult in that type of monarch system to tell the king no. But I still want to suggest this morning, we have to respond to God. God can stand with His arms wide open and saying to those of you that need saved, come unto me. But He's never going to force you up out of your seat and force you down on a knee and force you to pray a prayer of repentance and force you to give your life to Him. He loves you too much for that. He wants the love to be uh, two ways. He wants you to come because you love Him, because you trust Him. But I want us to also enter into, again, Mephibosheth's experience. Supposedly, the king wants to show him kindness, but why? 
And why would God want to show somebody like me kindness? I've got nothing to offer the kingdom. My legs don't work. I'm a crippled and maimed person. And I happen to be descendants of the people that tried to kill him. As I try to enter into his experience, I think to myself of all the reasons people have for not coming to God. All the reasons we have, whether it's salvation, whether it's pain, whether it's whether you're a Christian and God's trying to do something in your life, but we resist it. We have all of these reasons why we can't go. Sometimes we just got to trust the King. God, you're a good God. I don't understand it, Lord. I don't know why you're asking me to let go of this thing. I don't know why you're asking me to go there, Lord. I don't know why you're bidding me to come. And and, and I don't know why you would love somebody like me who's been crippled all of my life. When everybody else has been able to walk for you, God, I can't walk. When everybody else has been able to run strong, Lord, I fall right on my face. And there are people, I have seen them in, in years of ministry. You fall down and you fall down. And eventually you say to yourself, why even try? And you've given up. You've retreated to low to bar. Just waiting for the day you die. And I tell you, God's not so much impressed with our ability to walk or our ability to run. He's impressed with our heart to try. Some of you this morning, God just wants you to get back up. Get back up and come. And so Mephibosheth is on his way and he finally comes face to face with the king. I wonder everything that's going on in his mind and his heart. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? First of all, he fell on his face in verse 6. And he prostrated himself. That term prostrated himself, it, 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 lends, it, it lends to the idea that he actually fell out on his face and and laid out before the king on the ground. There's no greater way to come to God than through humility. There's no greater way to come to the king than with a humble heart. And Mephibosheth does so. David speaks to him and he answers back, I am your servant. What's the first thing David says to him? Do not fear. Do not fear. I don't know. I should probably find out how many times the Word of God says, do not fear. God doesn't want you to fear. Do not fear. Whatever it is that you're afraid of this morning that's going to happen if you come to God, don't fear. Whatever it is that you're afraid of, God, if I get up and I walk and I try this thing again, do not fear. I think the problem that we have as people is that because we can only see what we see with our own eyes and we're unable to view into the heavenlies and see the supernatural, we have a really good grasp on who we are. But we don't have a very good grasp on who He is. Yes, we're maimed. Yes, we have a hard time walking. Yes, at times our legs don't work. It's not about my abilities. It's about a God who is able to do anything that He wants, 
who can take every situation and turn it into good. It's about a God who is able to, 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 to take my weakness and somehow, in the way that only He can, turn it into strength. And when I understand who He is, it doesn't matter too much who I am. It doesn't matter this morning if you're waiting to come to God because you think you are an evil, wicked, horrible person and you've gone too far and God could never love you and God could never use you. You listen to me this morning. That is a lie from the pits of hell. I don't just dispute that you might be a wicked person. I don't dispute that you might have done some horrible things. But there is one who is able to forgive all sins. The blood that was shed on Calvary's cross is the atonement for every wicked thing that's ever been done. And if you'll come to Him this morning, He will take you as you are. He'll reach into that black, cold heart. And He'll give it life and wash it and make it white as snow. It's not about how lame we are, but about how great He is. He is able... Do not fear, he says. Do not fear. Because he loves you with a perfect love. And perfect love casteth out fear. You know, it would be good for us as Christians to remember that too. Those of you that are doing your best, walking your walk and running your race. You know, if we're not careful, sometimes we'll get conceited and think we can come to God because of our great works. We've got, a lot of times we'll have this, this, this false sense of uh, accomplishment that, that allows us to, to, to boldly go before the throne of grace. As if I can go because this week I did a lot of Bible reading. And this week I've really been good at prayer and, and, and haven't missed a church service in so many weeks. And I'm feeling pretty spiritual. Hey, those are good things. I'm not cutting them down. And if you've been here any length of time, you know I believe you need those things. But when we think those things somehow constitute me in a special way, being able to go to God, I am mistaken. I have forgotten that I am what I am by the grace of God and by the grace of God only. It's not about how good we are or how bad we are. It's about how great He is and a grace that is greater than all of our sins. David says to Mephibosheth, you don't need to be afraid. I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to do anything wrong. I just want to show you kindness. He uses the word restore to you. In verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed himself and said, How is it that your servant, what is your servant, that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Phoebusheth saw himself as nothing but a dead dog. Maybe you kind of feel that way this morning. Maybe you show up and because it's church, and you're supposed to be happy because God's good. And He is good, by the way, all the time. But you know you're supposed to be happy. You're supposed to look happy. And so you show up and you pretend. But really deep inside you say, Pastor, this one, I feel that. I feel like a dead dog. Why would God want to do anything with me? There's only one answer. You're going to have to get your guys off of you and look to Him and see a love that you can't understand. You can't fathom it. It doesn't make sense. It's not natural. It's supernatural. Because He loves you. Because He loves you. That's why. Thank God for the love of God. 
Thank God for the grace of God. Thank God. I serve him because I love him, by the way. I serve him because he's a good God. I serve him because he first loved me. I, I, I don't try to live a performance-based life where I'm doing enough to tip the scales and make God happy. But I am so thankful this morning for the love of God and the grace of God that is bigger than all my sins. His strength is bigger than my weakness. His love for me is greater than all of my failures. And most of all, and most importantly, His love for me is not based upon what I am. It's not based upon where I'm going. It's not based upon anything I've done or haven't done. He loved me because He loves me. And I can't change that. He loves you this morning because He loves you. The Bible tells us, as you read on, that Mephibosheth, I believe it's the last verse of the chapter, that Mephibosheth ate at the king's table, I think it might even say, all the days of his life. I want you to get this mental picture with me. They're all at the table. And they're eating. And remember, he came from Lodabar, a place of no pasture. A barren and dry place where you just barely make it. You're alive, but just barely. Away from everything that was normal, even. And certainly a long ways away from being a child of the king. Now all of a sudden, here he is at the king's table with the rest of the king's honored servants and children. And there's a feast greater than anything he's ever had before yet to to date. And there's just one thing at this table that doesn't seem to to show. You take a picture of the table with me, you don't even see it. And that's his legs. That's the very thing that kept him from the king all of his life. It's under the king's table. Tony, God has a way of taking your weakness and just hiding it sometimes. And even in this world, I'm telling you, you're never going to be perfect, child of God. If you're waiting to come to God, if you're waiting to be saved because you think you need to turn some things around and and you need to change some things in your life, you'll stay the way you are forever because you need God to do it for you. He says, come as you are. I love you. You don't need to change yourself to be to be acceptable to me. You come to me. I will help you repent of your sins. I will live in you. I will change your heart. You don't need to change a bunch of stuff before you make the decision to come to Him. You should come today. Today is the day of salvation. But even as we follow Him, we are still sinners at times. We sin. I'm telling you, it's not always easy. I'm not going to tell you that you're never going to fall. But here's the amazing thing about it. Even though we are still weak vessels, even though we still have a a, a nature that that is bent towards what is wrong, even though we find ourselves clothed in this flesh that tries to pull us the other way, there is a war, the Bible says, between the flesh 
and the Spirit, even though that is the case, our God has this amazing way of just pulling us up to His table. He says, child, you don't worry about it. I knew about it before I called you. I knew about it before you ever showed up. I knew about it before I told you, do not fear. I'm going to make you one of mine. And I know about it now, but it's under the table. I don't even see it. It, the, The blood has covered it. It is sufficient. My grace is enough. You just see yourself the way I see you as a child of the King. As our worship team comes this morning, I want to talk to two people. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to be saved. And you're in that place of low to bar. You're in that place of being away from life and it's dry and you know it. This morning, will you come to God? I don't know where you have grown up in church, and I don't know what you do or how you don't believe church should be or work, but here at Crossway, we believe that when God's dealing with you, you ought to have at least the opportunity to respond right then. This morning, I just want to give you a chance to respond. If God's dealing with your heart, you know you need to be saved. I'm going to give you the chance in a moment to get up out of your seat and come and kneel and we'll pray with you. and Do our best just to make sure that whatever you're coming to God for this morning, that we pray with you about that. And then maybe you're a Christian here this morning. Somebody dropped you. You got hurt. First of all, I'm sorry. Bad things do happen. Even to good people. Sometimes good people do bad things. But our God is perfect. And this morning, He wants you to take your eyes off of everything that seemed to make that happen and look to Him and this morning just once and for all say, God, I'm done hiding. I'm done living in the cave. I'm done retreating to bar. I feel so unable to walk. I feel so unable to do anything for you. But God, if you'll just take me as I am, pull me up to your table, God, I will come. This morning, I want to encourage you, if that's you, please come. Father, we love you. We thank you. Pray, God, that you'd move upon our hearts right now. God, I pray that you'd move upon the heart, Lord, this morning of that person, that man, that woman that needs to be saved. No more playing games.